This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, it's time to vote again. Fortunately, it's an off year, so our ballots are pretty slim. There's only two statewide questions to consider. So today we're doing our best to understand the big one, Prop HH, because even though supporters are calling it a property tax break, this measure has got huge implications for the long-term health of our government and the notorious Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, a.k.a. Tabor. My good friend Andy Kenny is back to explain it all. He's a crack politics reporter for Colorado Public Radio and my favorite Polis whisperer. Today is Monday, October 16th. I'm Paul Caroli in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Andy Kenny, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Hey, thanks for having me. So we have invited you back because you understand our governor, Jared Polis, as well as anyone. And uh, he's been cooking up something pretty juicy for us to sink our teeth into here. <laughs> I, I think this might be the most Polis has ever polised. What do you think? I, I don't know how you would measure that, but I do know that this is a ballot measure that took 12 pages in the blue book to explain, which is something like a record. It's it's quite complex. It does a lot. Well, that that's our governor for you, and that's why you're here, Andy. So it's, we're talking about ballot measure. Uh, it's Prop HH. We're going to vote on it here soon. Um, and it has to do with property taxes, which has been a huge theme all year. It's very complicated. We're going to straighten it out. I think we have to start with the why. Why did Polis and his allies feel moved to put a question on the ballot related to property taxes this year? Property taxes got real big this year or for this coming year. I think everybody knows at this point that property values went through the roof. 30% property value increase was not unusual for this valuation cycle. In some areas, we saw residential value go up like 80%, which is bonkers. And that value is what your property taxes are based on. So because the real estate market was so hot in the pandemic, everybody's facing a much higher property tax bill next year. Property taxes are going up by 40% this year. Who could afford that? Hardly anyone. That's why we need to tackle this with tax relief now. If we don't, renters, homeowners, small businesses, and first responders like me will be hurt. It will be even worse for seniors and low-income families. Proposition HH cuts property taxes now for everyone, helping people stay in their homes. So that's the problem that Polis has identified that he wants to solve. That's the problem that he says he wants to solve, yeah. So what what is he exactly proposing to do? What is he proposing to do? Surprisingly difficult. I know that's a big question. It, it, it does like three things. The thing that they want to talk about the most is that it cuts property tax rates by like a not insignificant amount, you know, like 5 10% depending on the value of your house. So next year, your values, your taxes are probably still going to go up by a good chunk, but not as much. Puts a little break on them. But then it does also a lot of other stuff related to the state. It's very complicated finances. 
uh, complicated but important. Yeah, let, we, we're going to have to get into those other things, some of those like non-decreasing the property tax rates things, because he really is pushing those hard. So what is it? What are the other aspects? So the other thing it does is really changes Tabor. The Taxpayer's Bill of Rights, yeah. this weird arcane system of taxes that basically keeps our taxes low and our government small, thanks to a conservative intellectual named Douglas Bruce. Yeah, that's about the long and short of it. So it leaves the, a lot of the central stuff of Tabor in place, but it raises that limit on how much taxes the state can collect in a given year. Um, we're going to put all the pieces together here in a bit, but besides lowering property tax rates, HH is saying the state can keep more and more money each year instead of refunding it. And at the end of 10 years, if HH passes, the state would be allowed to keep up to about $2.2 billion extra per year. Not a small amount of change. And and when the economy is doing well, like it is now, we get we got a pretty big fat refund yeah. check, a Tabor refund. I think it was like $750 last year. Yep. Three and a half billion dollars across the entire state. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. And he's saying mm-hmm. we could be using that money for other things like lowering property tax rates. Yeah. So that's the number one thing that they say they want to use this extra Tabor money for mm-hmm. is kind of like, all right, look, when you lower property taxes, guess who gets property taxes normally? It's your city government, your county government, it's schools. So when you lower property tax rates, you're taking away money that would have gone to schools. And so what HH says is, hey, let's take some of that Tabor refund money and we'll give it to the school since we just took away property tax dollars for them. So that's the number one thing they're saying is it's supposed to balance out. So property owners get a tax break, but then we're going to make up some of the losses to local governments and schools with Tabor refund money. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. Does that make sense? Uh, it's it's starting to. Um, <laughs> and maybe we could talk about some of the winners and losers here, because that's, I mean, I want to know 
which one I am, I guess. I think we all know, Paul. (laughs) Hey, or thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, So who's the biggest winner under this proposition? A 65 to 70 year old property owner who owns a home. Okay. Or two, because- Look, um, the, the, let me let me broaden that out a little bit. The winners in general are homeowners because they get a collective like billion dollar discount on their property taxes, less than they would have had to pay otherwise. Okay, so that's the big winner. Yep. What about renters? Renters, in a sense, are losing, at least in the direct financial sense, because seems like it. Right, because like with the way the state's going, they were set to receive refunds every year from now until. We have a major recession. Yeah, like more we, of those big fat checks. Yep, exactly. And those go out to everybody. Now, the actual amount that you get from a refund like depends on how much money you make. It depends on how the state decides to pay it out. But the long and short of it is like this redirects up to $10 billion over 10 years that would have been refunded. And that money could have theoretically gone to just about every taxpayer. Could have gone to renters. Mm-hmm. So renters in particular are losing out on that Tabor refund. Everybody's losing out on the Tabor refund. That um that I think that might explain the press release I got from the Colorado Association of Realtors recently. They what came they say? out they were against Prop yep. HH. Mm-hmm. And I guess because it would hurt renters and I hurt their business as a result. Yeah, I don't want to speak to all their motivation and reasoning, but there's certainly a lot of skepticism of this from conservatives, some from business groups, and a good deal from local governments. There is a, a speaking of local governments, a third group of winner and or losers. Go ahead. Local governments kind of lose out. They are getting less money than they would otherwise. And they're only having some of that made up by the state. You know, like basically only rural areas and low growth areas are getting any kind of recompense or thank you package from the state to make up for their lost revenues. The state's saying like everybody else, Denver, you're going bonkers with property tax revenue. You don't get and you you can take a cut. Yeah. Which may be true. Yeah. And then the final group is schools in particular. So are schools a winner or a loser? They are neutral at the very best and quite possibly a winner because schools rely heavily, Paul, on property taxes. Schools get this promise that, look, we know we're taking away a lot of dollars that could have gone to you otherwise from these property taxes. Yeah. We promise to make up every single dollar that you miss out on due to HH. That's probably going to come from the Tabor refund pool. We'll pay it from the general fund if we have to. But it goes further than that because- This Prop HH, it doesn't say the state's only going to keep enough refund money to pay for the property tax cuts. It's actually letting the state keep more and more Tabor refund, Tabor surplus money every year. And it increases on like a curve. It goes up and up and up. That curve doesn't really care how much money the state actually needs to pay for the costs of the property tax cut. It's actually like a compounding formula. It goes up and up and up. So I told you, at the end of 10 years, the state might get to keep an extra $2.2 billion. See, that's interesting. That's what he's not talking about as much. I, the whole discourse I've seen has been about property taxes. Mm-hmm. But this other function you're talking about seems like it might have much bigger implications in the long run. It could. So let's say in 10 years that the state keeps an extra $2.2 billion that would have been refunded otherwise. It does not need all that money to to make up for property tax cuts. So what does it do? Let's say that the cost of making it up to schools is only a billion dollars. Where does that extra $1.2 billion, you wonder, and you're asking me right now with your eyes? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can see. Mm -hmm. That extra 1.2 just goes to the schools. It's just new schools money. Coloradans still get more than a billion dollars in Tabor refunds every year. And we still get a vote on tax increases. It's a win-win. 
HH even puts a cap on future property tax growth, avoiding this kind of crisis in the future. It's a tax cut that won't harm our schools. Or the people that keep us safe. Vote yes on HH for tax relief, delivered now and done responsibly. So, gosh, this is, you know, sometimes I think we have to address the elephant in the room, Mm. which is just the sheer fact that this is so absurdly complicated. Yes. This is something I've been frustrated with, with just the way Colorado operates taxes and funds our government in general. But do you ever feel like this is like undemocratic in a way, just by, by being so complicated and so obtuse? It's interesting because the whole point of Tabor is to make all these direct democracy decisions. Anytime you want to raise taxes, it's a voter decision. Yeah. But the way all those limits and rules interact, it does make things obfuscated, even when they're not supposed, even when they're not really intended to be. It results in us, I mean, you could say the government could just use less money, but with the government the size that it is, spending the amount that it does, they have ended up relying on fees. They've ended up relying on all these transfer mechanisms. Right. So it does Which make it- Which are just euphemisms for taxes. I mean, literally any money the government takes from- us the people and uses on services for us the people it is tax money yeah fees call it in a this fee, state call it a tax they're more or less it a, taxes it's just money going back and forth yeah exactly um so to return to the Tabor money question yes if you really push polis on it he will tell you okay maybe there's ends up being some extra money for schools out of all this but we designed it to mostly serve the needs of the property tax cut. Property tax cut first, anything else is incidental. But if you talk to like the sponsors of the bill, some of the Democrats who are behind this, they are kind of hoping that this actually is a schools funding measure too. That's mm. the simplest way I can put it. It does cut property taxes, but all those Tabor mechanics behind it, if things work out the way they are hoping, all those mechanics end up benefiting schools funding. Hmm. Hmm. Is anyone calling this a Tabor killer? Yeah, I mean, the opponents, the conservatives, to which the Democrats would say, like, look, it's not a Tabor killer because citizens can still vote at any time to lower taxes or raise taxes. They still get, we still get as voters, the authority over tax increases. Sure. But it does significantly raise how much money the state can collect. And I think that if it were to pass and to keep going for 10 years, it's going to be hard to turn that clock back once you add an extra $2 billion to the state budget. Hmm. Do you do you think that's what his strategy is here, our, our governor? Is that what he's really got his eyes on? Is that like big, big revenue coming maybe 10 years down the line? It's been a point of Democrats for many years that schools are underfunded. You can debate whether or not it is. I'm not a schools expert. And I think that this would go a long way toward loosening that rope that's tied around the state budget, the Tabor limit. Ah, uh, yes. And you can argue over like how much of that is in the service of property taxes, how much isn't. It adds up to a good amount of money. Hmm. So you might not call it a Tabor killer, but the conservatives would. Yeah, or a Tabor weakener. A Tabor weakener. Tabor light. Tabor coming soon light. to a ballot near you. So, so just to, to sum up here at the end, let's try to make it as simple as possible for people who are going to be filling in the bubbles on their ballots what happens if it passes and what happens if it fails? I'd say like four or five things happen if it passes. Okay. Property tax rates go down. Mm-hmm. You pay less than you would have otherwise if you're a homeowner, business owner, etc. Okay. Thing two, we didn't mention this, next year's Tabor refunds are flattened out. 
instead of being paid different amounts to different income levels, everybody next year and next year only gets the same exact Tabor refund. It's like eight or $900. Okay. That's kind of like incidental to everything else. Yeah. It's, it's really big, but it's incidental. Yeah. Thing number three is that the Tabor revenue limit for the whole state starts going upward. It goes upward just a little tiny bit next year, but it's got this compounding formula. So it goes up and up and up. And eventually the state's allowed to keep $2 billion of extra money per year. And then more and more if it were allowed to stay into the far future. Mm. And thing number four is that that extra money that it's getting to keep is spent making up for the effects of property tax cuts, but also increasing schools funding when it's available. Okay. That's so easy, right? Yeah, it's like it's a super four and a half, easy. Six yeah. to ten things. <laughs> well, we'll put links to your stories uh, that you've been reporting for Colorado Public Radio yeah. in the show notes so <laughs> folks can do a little bit more of their own research if they want. You know, it's it's not a small property tax cut, but it comes with, you know, it's a sizable property tax cut. It's not nothing, but it, it comes with big Tabor implications. People should spend some time understanding. Thanks so much for joining me, Andy. Thanks for having me. Hey, one last thing before we go today. I mentioned earlier in conversation with Andy that the Colorado Association of Realtors opposes Prop HH, but I don't think we explain their position properly. So I want to elaborate for a second. Uh, in the press release I got, they wrote, quote, we analyzed potential outcomes to help us come to a decision in alignment with our mission and vision to create paths to home ownership. There are approximately 2 million renter Coloradans that won't receive any property tax relief, but will likely lose their Tabor refunds. Less money in renters' pockets from Tabor refunds is less money to put towards home ownership or to make ends meet. And that's the end of that quote. Uh, so it seems to me that they think Prop HH would reduce demand for homes, which is very interesting. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Governor Polis about us? Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. Thank you.